Welcome to Cinema Bushido. Tonight we're talking about Hero from 2002, directed by Yi Mao Zhang, who you might know from Raise the Red Lantern, House of Flying Daggers, and even the depressing 2016 The Great Wall. It's also starring Jet Li, Tony Leung, Donnie Yen, Maggie Chung, and the ever-wonderful Zi Yi Zhang. Tonight I have the honor of being joined by Andre of The Formal Review. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing good. How are you, man? Excellent. Um, I guess we can call this uh, my podcast with Andre. <laughs> yeah, sure. I bet you hear that way too often in too many forums. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, let's start out. Uh, I wonder. Yeah, you. You. Uh, I had you choose this. So we were chat actually chatting on Twitter, and um, I was saying that I consider Bruce Lee to be, you know, the superior of the Lees. And you were like, well, I like Bruce a lot, but, you know, you also have your heart in Jet Li. And I said, well, let's do a podcast together and let's talk about Jet Li and your mm-hmm. favorite Jet Li film. And here we are with Hero. So tell me what you think of Hero. Oh, I, I really like the movie. I remember when I uh, when it first came out, uh, I think it was in August. Um, well, I know it came out in 2002, I think in China, but then like it didn't get distributed over in the States until like I think 2004. And then like, but I remember like, going to see it, I think, for, like, one of my birthday weekends, like, just with a buddy, few buddies of mine, and, and it, it was just a lot of fun, I mean, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more, um, just because I'm a little bit more into films than some of my friends were at the time, but I, and, like, even re-watching it, like, I relived that, and, like, just seeing, one, how the cinematography worked really well, and the story, um, basically went off of Rashomon um like Kurosawa and I was so gonna say the same I, thing yeah yeah I in in short I love I I love the film then and I still love it now yeah it is beautiful first off I didn't remember that I saw I saw this in the theater too when it came out um and I didn't remember two things I didn't remember that it had a lot of that um uh Chinese like mysticism and you know it has a it, it it became really popular later on but there's a lot of like things that humans can't do floating and uh you know there's a lot of wire action and stuff like that but right. this happened before house of flying daggers so i want in, in any of those movies so i just i remember watching it originally and i just thought oh it's beautiful and i think this sets this is set apart from those because it's actually meant to be beautiful and it's right it it uses color so well and mm-hmm. and you and I do love just what you said the Rashomon thing of this all these different perspectives and the story as it's being told to you the first time you hear it isn't necessarily true compared to as it goes on and as truth comes out right yeah I I especially um like the color stuff going off of what you just said uh like I, I I've read like a few interviews by the director that he says like um there's not really much like him his side of I guess like how he chose to do the colors and but for me when I look at it like I see the like the red being um representation of like lies and deceit and then when it goes to like the blue it's kind of like the unsure um but also the the emperor he thinks that um he thinks that this is right so it's it represents like wisdom and whatnot but then when they show the white, uh, the white colors, it's more that's what the true story is. And I really like and how white rep- is represented like for purity and truth. So I really like that. Even even if the director didn't mean to do that, I still thought it was it adds a little bit more for me when I watch it. 
Um, and then the green is just because it has to do with um, the past and stuff like that. But like you said, the way he used color and it just it, it enhances the viewing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't figured it out. And I'm glad you have a theory because I was going to ask you about that. And, and red, I know what you mean with lies because that's when they're called out for lies. But also that was one of the most aggressive scenes. Yes. Um, there, yeah, it was just so there's so much carnage and so much like anger going on. So there's that as well. And then, yeah, the purity, um, the green, I don't know if I figured out, um, it's one of my favorites because it comes later on towards the end after mm -hmm. it's kind of like after the aggression and we're starting to understand like what's going on. And it really, I mean, the, the effect of the color and your mood while you're watching it, as well as kind of like what's going on. Yeah, it was, it was magical. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's jump on. Uh, I want to hear, uh, what is you, well, uh, I don't know if I, if you can give me two, but, um. I mean, there are tons of great scenes in this, but I only prep you. I say, hey, tell me your favorite scene. But if you have to, I'm going to ask you one, and then we can go on to number two, and we'll go from there. So give me your number one favorite scene. My number one favorite scene is, uh, well, it's the scene where um, Broken Sword and Nameless are fighting each other, like, over the, the lake. Um, one, because it's the water is completely still, and from what I've seen in the... Um, like the behind the scenes stuff like they had to wait to a specific time of day on this specific like i guess um day of the week or i don't know the exact like precise t what they had to do but they had to wait like, similar to like the revenant in that like they mm -hmm. had to do it specifically for that so they would get the reflection of the mountains surrounding it and for me there's this one shot where like it looks like um it's being filmed from underneath the water and you see oh, uh, yeah. um them like i guess hopping across and for me like that is a, it was such a cool fight scene and how kind of whenever they would strike um each other and then they like dip the their swords down into the water to like i guess in a way cleanse and get ready for the next move um and then it kind of got paused respectively once um when they accidentally spilt water on um Flying snow, yes. So when the water accidentally goes on her face, and then Broken yeah. Sword is going at, after um, to wipe it off, um, Nameless thinks like, "Oh, he's doing some kind of attack. I have to go against him." But once he realizes that it, it wasn't that, he was doing it because he wanted to honor the the death of his. I don't remember if they were married. Maybe they were. I think they were just lovers. But um, like there was a, uh, I guess respect toward the other fighter which i really enjoyed and then he walked away and then they proceeded on with the story and it was kind of touching in that um how broken sword was willing to stop like fighting just because just a little drop of water fell yeah. on his um dead lover his, his love of his life yeah, yeah. that's crazy yeah and you said it. it's really weird you're right they don't make those things clear but we get it they're like these these iconic fighters and they have cool names, right? But yeah, they're in love, and we kind of know. Uh, first off, they, yeah, they've twisted all these different tales together, and even though they're told in different ways, each one has like a really like deep emotional depth to it, right? Like, so you don't know which one. Like, there isn't one that's cheating on the other that you get there, and you're like, oh, this one's more true because they seem more in love or whatever. Because in the in the terms of the jealousy and that and the sort of betrayal and all that, I felt the same level of despair as I did later on. 
when the story was told a different way. But something about um, what you brought up with the swords in the water, it made me think of Lone Wolf and Cub. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a, it's an old samurai movie. And the, the gentleman in particular, Lone Wolf, he, uh, he has like his style of fighting has to do with uh, there's a sword technique in the water that he uses. And he uses that to kind of like it's his trump card that he can then like, you know, murder the hell out of someone. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but. Oh, yeah. If you ever get a chance, you will love it. It is. It's one of the coolest things. It's a it's about a samurai that uh, is uh, betrayed by his master. And he instead of giving in, which would be the normal thing that he goes ahead and commits uh, seppuku, he says, no, I'm, I am already dead because this happened to me. I'm going to become like this vengeful spirit and I'm going to get revenge. And, mm. you know, he gets massive revenge. It's him and his baby, <laughs> which is like a, I guess, a two-year-old in a, in a stroller. And they stroll around Japan uh, getting revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, well, my favorite scene, um, which... I almost let it go earlier when we were talking about it because it's the in the red. Uh, it's the siege with the arrows. And so Nameless and Flying Snow are battling the arrows that are coming in so Broken Sword can complete the calligraphy. And I thought that was really neat, this tie-in that the the skill of calligraphy is something like the skill of sword play. And he's in there and he's doing his best. And I don't quite get how he's making a scroll by writing in the sand except that there's probably some crafting there that i don't understand but they're letting him do that and they're outside and they're just going freaking nuts stopping this like barrage of arrows from breaking right. through the walls and killing him yeah it was neat it was really neat and there's a great line at the end of that i didn't write it down but i'm sure you know it it was something like uh he says well that's amazing skill and he's like what that you were able to finish up the scrolls while I was outside. He was like, no, that no arrows came in here and killed me or something along yeah. those lines. So I was like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have a uh, second seat? I would say that that one as well, but uh, I also really like the also in the red when um, Moon is fighting um, Flying Snow mm -hmm. uh, in like the, the leaves and I don't know. There's some like when they fly, um, when she's like flying, obviously with the wires and stuff, um, but like with the leaves just going around. I don't know. There's something majestic about it because they was kind of in autumn, which was kind of different from like a, a lot of the other scenes. In that, like, I mean, there. I guess you could maybe say there was maybe some springtime and whatnot, but that was like the only scene that, for me, really kind of like dealt more with an. Uh, season I don't know like I felt like I was in autumn what every time I watch it like I feel like I'm in autumn watching it and so I remember that scene and it's just um, similar to like all the entire red um, segment like there's a lot of aggression and um, uh, hostility there's hostility um, between obviously the two characters and just one may or may not be in love with the master even well in this in this sequence obviously um they end up um having sex and whatnot but which is the only time they really do that in any of the segments but it was interesting how like she came back and was like oh you uh killed my master or whatever and then this woman who's supposed to be his true love um is 
just saying stand down and she doesn't because she's obviously all emotional about what just happened and she comes in with this like head of steam and all um flying snow does is like turn around and like kind of like it looks (laughs) the way i'm describing it is not how obviously how artistic it looks but like the way like she just kind of turns around doesn't even like really um, bring a sword out to fight it just kind of turns around and kind of like blows her away and she just goes like flying back i don't know that entire scene for me is just so um i guess majestic in but aggressive in the same way yeah you know that was my my top favorite scene too um and i had to compete so that would have been my second but i easily have my other third but yeah, it was so beautiful. Um, and that's, I really, I think that just comes down to Yimo Zhang and he knows how to take color and he, he uses red a lot. Uh, Raise the Red Lantern, this whole Red Lantern idea and House of Flying Daggers. He he knows red first off. It's really beautiful, but it's also very aggressive. Yeah. And when you have these two women fighting in the forest like that, and you do, you've got like the leaves falling off the trees and they're just you know, going head to head and they're not fighting traditionally there. It's no, there's no hair pulling here. It's like, it's very magical and it's yeah. got a lot of like this force of nature. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, so I'll take a second. Uh, this one's easy and I know this was the obvious one and uh, it's the one that, uh, our buddy Herskules brought up, but the Donnie Yen, uh, fight is just fantastic, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, uh, that one, um, is just, uh, cause, uh, yeah. He like whoops him. There's a point where he's just kind of slapping him with his sword, yeah. and uh, you know it's right when we're starting to get it. First, I, the first fight where he just like fought off all the the regular like the dudes, it was all very honorable. He wasn't going to kill them. He was just he left the sheath on his uh, awesome. I forget what they call it. The the awesome dagger. The dagger of lightning and swords and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but it was awesome. So he he kept like a cover on it and he whooped everyone. He was like cool. And then it was like all right. It's time to fight Mr. Jet. And uh, at one point he had to take it off. He's like, it's time to fight. And yeah, yeah it was really beautiful. It was, it was a lot of acrobatics, but also I felt like it stayed closer. One of, some, most of my favorite fight scenes is when you don't do a lot of crazy stuff. And Jet Li's known for it at this point. Like I just did a, a podcast that's coming out this week, which by the time the ours comes out, will be have been out for two weeks or even three weeks. But um, I did Fist of Legend. Mm-hmm. And Fist of Legend is, it's like you're doing a Bruce Lee style fighting, but you're taking it a little over the top. So we're breaking bones really easily yeah. and we're pulling joints out and stuff. So this is kind of like that. Like we're getting close to the ground, so we're really fighting. And there was some like really, really neat like staff versus sword fight stuff. And then, you know, of course we did the jump into the trees and float around a bit. And it takes me, it takes me a little out of it. Uh, until later, because that fight, again, was like really, it felt like a menacing one-on-one battle. And it was before I'd really gotten into the, like, gotten into the flow of this is going to be about these larger-than-life kind of god heroes. And, yeah. Anyway, it was great, though, right? Yeah, I, I love that scene. Um, I actually got more appreciation for that scene um, as I got older. Because when I first saw this movie, I only, I was like, Jet Li, and this is... Um, was like essentially the follow-up to crouching tiger hidden dragon so i was like oh i gotta see this and so that was the only reason why i went but so like now um i appreciate donnie and so much more and re-watching it's yeah. like this is so much cooler now seeing like these two martial artists go up against each other and i mean i i mean i've always loved like little things like that like um i was um with 
the Forbidden Kingdom when even it, that that movie is overall it's fun, but it's not like a martial arts movie. It was still fun to see Jet Li fight Jackie Chan. I mean, that, yeah, that, right. that, that's just great. Like you can't beat that. And then again, similar to that, like you watch Jet Li fight Donnie Yen. Like I mean, that guy has now become like one of the high martial artists now. I mean, he's even breaking the mold and going into American movies now. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's done it. He's done... Like, we've watched... Like, there's Jackie Chan, there's Jet Li, and now there's Donnie Yen. Yes. Like, nobody else is quite at that level. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, and... With... Well, my generation, it would have been Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris yeah. in uh, Way of the Dragon. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, which was thrilling. I mean, I love Chuck, and to see him... And, you know, you know, that was in his... Uh, before he started body waxing, so... Yeah. It had... <laughs> He gave Bruce the opportunity. First off, I think the Chinese audiences to see this like super hairy American karate expert, it was just hilarious. Yeah. But then, yeah, on top of that, it gave the scene where Bruce was able to rip the hair off of <laughs> Chuck and blow it at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was another thing in this. Uh, the scene in the temple, uh, which I felt was very much like Enter the Dragon, uh, it's when there were all the banners of purple and the assassins were hiding in there. So he decided instead to start cutting all the banners down. And he explained it earlier. He's like, that's the reason this room is empty mm -hmm. is that I don't trust people. But uh, there's a scene at the end of Enter the Dragon where Bruce Lee has to start breaking all the mirrors because he's getting fooled by the, the boss. And uh, I, I thought that was a cool, I, I thought that was very, very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, we were like playing the same game, but yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's, uh, we'll move on there. Um, in the end, how do you rate this in terms of your, uh, your favorite Jet Li movies? Uh, well, favorite Jet Li movie, like, um, I was talking to you, like, when we first started talking about this, like, as a Jet Li performance film, like, for me, like, I, um, my biggest one, even though, like, it's his quote-unquote, like, last martial arts film, I mean, he does great, but... I don't know, in Fearless, I think, like, that was, from, yeah. that, for me, like, you see more, like, emotion and, like, him, like, actually acting. So, like, I personally really like that um, film, and it's going off of, like, similar um, to what you were describing, how it's very, a lot of bone-breaking, and you see, like, that type of stuff, especially in the unrated version. Um, it right. gets pretty gruesome, actually, um, which, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I, I enjoy that, um, watching that in a Jet Li film. But this, for me, it was like, it just so happens to be a Jet Li in this film. But what he's not what makes the film. Like, he's definitely a huge plus to it. But obviously, what really makes this film fantastic, and I can just rewatch it over and over again, is the story and how it goes off Rashomon, which is, like, I mean... It's funny enough why Quentin Tarantino was the one who um, endorsed this film because Quentin Tarantino uses Rashomon as inspiration a lot of the times. So, like, it, for me, like, I I love Rashomon. I thought, like, that's one of the films that I saw back in, like, high school and I, like, fell in love with then. And you see how that film has inspired so many different films and every and each one telling them in a different way so like the way that yeah. this one does it but does it in a way that is individual and unique and dealing with colors and dealing with obviously choreography of fighting you put all that together and you get a fantastic film 
Um, I mean, I'm not... This film, I don't think, is perfect. I think there are some, like... Uh, because of, obviously, the... You're not type of sure um, what is going on and some of the choices that are made. Um, like, for me, like, it, there's something, like, I guess, um, in regard to who the hero is of the story i they do like try to implicate um that nameless um is the hero of the story but i kind of look at him like he actually really yeah he was the last one to i guess not kill but it wasn't like his idea it was broken swords idea so for me I was I I just feel like that wasn't executed very well and how it kind of was ambiguous. So I don't know if it's obviously up to interpretation how you want to look at it, but I felt because of that ambiguity, it didn't answer all the questions. I thought because then they go and give uh Nameless a hero's funeral. So I right. kind of I was like, well, if you think about it, shouldn't a broken sword gotten that? I don't know. So I just thought that the ending kind of... Yeah, he should have. Yeah, it just yeah, kind of... Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I would say this. Um, I feel like maybe this... Well, I shouldn't say maybe, but I would say for sure the subtleties of the our land idea, which is a very important concept to the Chinese, um, doesn't equate quite well for us. If you took the same movie and you had four war- warring states in the United States and, and this one particular leader, he was relentless and just murdering people... And we all decided not to kill him and let him just run the United States because he's pretty badass. And we're saying it's just for the United States. That movie would flop so fucking hardcore. We want our hero to get up there and just kill the fuck out of the bad guy and become the new boss. And now we've got our movie. Now we got like our Jet Li's, the new king, the new president of the U.S. And now everyone's happy. And yeah, it doesn't quite work. There's that point at the end. You're like, wait, so... It was really all for nothing except to prove to the, you know, the emperor guy that, uh, yes, we saw your vision and we still came and we showed that we could kill you and we didn't. So now I want you to shoot me with like a thousand fucking arrows. Yeah. And that's the end. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, I mean, I like the, I mean, I like the trying to say like, okay, yeah, we should all try to be unified and try to. Except mm-hmm. um, everyone else, like I, I like that idea that I think that they were trying to get at, but I don't think, um, objectively speaking, that it was at least for American audiences. I don't think that that was executed in the best way. And what you know what was funny is that right before, um, like earlier this uh, evening, I rewatched the original trailer, and they marketed this film, uh, at least the the American version. Oh my word, it. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. it's so, it's, one, it doesn't give away really anything because it, like, advertises it's a completely different plot. It, it looks like it's just a revenge story, and then that's it. And how he has to do it, which kind of is true, but it's just, like, there's nothing really about, like, the, I guess, the complexity of how the fil- the story of the film is told it's just this guy just has to go through these essentially three assassins to get to the emperor and then kill him 
Right. So when you look and at that, is a typical Hollywood story, right? right. And I, yeah, which then you watch it and you're like, wait, that didn't happen. Yeah, that's not. And they like they make it look like you know, when the last scene when he gets shot with all the arrows, they make it look like he like blocked all of them. Like that's how they were advertising. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that's not what happens at oh, all. That's classic. <laughs> no, I won. Oh, never mind. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, based on the earlier scene, maybe he could have. Yeah, I don't know. exactly. Well, oh, that's funny. But yeah, you said it. Uh, this movie is not quote-unquote a Jet Li movie he's great in it the whole time but I mean an all-star cast I mean Tony Leung and Maggie Chung all by themselves and and then uh, Donnie Yen in there and yeah they knew what they were doing yeah they were like we've got where I agree with you my favorite Jet Li movie of all time was definitely uh Fearless I thought it was just great it, it was it was because it was a little more it felt a little more true yeah yeah well, cool. Uh, well, are you ready to get into our top six trivia challenge? I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a cruel one because um, I never do any of my uh, trivia around what's actually like what we're talking about. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have a lot of questions about Jet Li. But in this case, I'm going to start. Your first three questions are about jets. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, question one. What is the fastest manned jet? Oh, um, I could not tell you. I remember at one point it was the Blackbird, but I don't remember. They've hey, guess what? You what? you just got the answer right, because that's still what the internet told oh, me. Oh, is it really? The ship <laughs> stole off I, the I, I, I just remember that because of that was the ship that the X-Men had. Um, oh. <laughs> that's the only reason why I remember that, but I assumed that... Since that movie was made, they've made a faster ship. Apparently not, though. You know, I, I bet they have. But my answer is the U.S. Air Force's SR-71 Blackbird. <laughs> it's the world's fastest manned jet airplane, and it flew at about Mach 3.5, which is 2,000 miles an hour. Wow. They said that there's another jet called the X-15 that flew twice as fast, so 4,000 miles per hour, but it was powered by a rocket engine, not a jet engine. Okay. So. So there you go. Nice work. <laughs> okay, this next one, I'm just going to give you a second to think about it, but can you imagine who made the first combat jet aircraft? Like what country are you asking? No, or no yeah, we're looking for a country. We're, yeah, we're looking for a country. A World War II country. I'll give you that one hint. Uh, I'm just going to say just because, uh, I don't know, but Japan... No, it was Germany. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it was called the Messerschmitt ME-626A. It was the end of World War II. Anyway, yeah. I probably would have guessed Germany just because they were innovating so much. But yeah, you think so. coming up with the first combat jet would give you an advantage, and they lost, so I don't yeah. know. It's rough. All right. Well, this one's uh, this one, just depending on how jet smart you are, um, there are three types of jet engines. Can you name the three? No. <laughs> All right. Well, once I read them, I realized, like, if I were in a saw-style situation and I racked my brain because my leg was about to be cut off by somebody that was going to drink the blood, um, turbojet, turbofan, and turboprop are the three. I probably could have come up with one of those under extreme duress. Like, I've heard turboprop referred to on, like, uh, you know, commercial retail airline stuff 
Oh, yeah. that's the turbo prep, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've heard turbo jet before, but the other two I would not have been able to figure out. Yeah, it really is just a big fan yeah. in a cool, like, you know, aerodynamic casing that just goes really fast. It's pretty sweet when I compared it. And, of course, jet fuel making it go extra fast. Right. All right, well, we're switching gears. Your next two questions are about, well, let's just start. Number four, what year were the New York Jets founded? The new what? The New York Jets. It's a football team. Oh, the New York Jets. Uh... <laughs> Found it. So, yeah. They've been around for a while. Yeah. 73? Yeah. Close. It was 1959. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch football. But it had Jet in the question, so that's why you got it. <laughs> You see, I'm a bastard. I'm a bastard. All right, number five. Have the New York Jets ever won the Super Bowl? And this is just a 50-50 for you. thing is, is that I'm trying Unless to remember because like, I'm actually a football person, so um, okay. I'm just not okay, I'm so not yeah. a Jets person, though. No, I mean, it just has Jet in the name. Yeah, yeah you're, you're up. I'm going to say no. Okay, unfortunately they did. Uh, and it was this I thought this was an interesting bit of trivia. It was Super Bowl number 3, which is the first one to ever be called the Super Bowl. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I was like, wow. Uh they fought against uh the Baltimore Colts. Mm. And I guess they won 16 to 7. So And back then it was something called the AFL instead of the NFL, so I'm sure if you're a football guy that makes sense to you. To me, it's just another acronym. Yeah, they just basically, they had like two different like leagues and then American yep. League and then National and then they brought it together. They merged. Yeah. All right, well, I'm, I'm cheating and I'm giving you a Jet Li question. Um, what was Jet Li's first Hollywood film? Uh... And this one I didn't guess either. I read the question and I tried to think to myself and I feel like I knew a lot of his films. I was going to say something else, but then I realized, I don't know. Anyway, uh, once I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Cradle to the Grave? See, I thought the same thing. And then I'm like, the one was like the first I ever saw. But um, Lethal Weapon 4 is considered his first Hollywood film. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. And, you know, it's funny because I was talking to someone the other day and they brought that one up. And I'm like, oh, of all things, because I feel like Lethal Weapon went straight downhill after number one. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, sir, you did not you did not win. Yeah, well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm a bastard. I'm a bastard. But you know, um I always like to just throw this out. I couldn't have answered any of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I just put together trivia and uh, I'm waiting for one day I'll have like the beautiful mind guy on and he'll just like rip it apart <laughs> and I'll have to like give him my podcast and move away. Man, I got one right, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, you did. And that was awesome. Um, all right, well, before we go, I want to hear more. Uh, tell me about the formal review. What's going on? Um, so what I do is um, I just write reviews on movies that I watch. Um, most of them are like the new ones that are coming out in theaters. But one thing that I always like to do is um, watch all the movies of like a series uh, prior to like them coming out. Like, for example, with the Spy- uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, I watched all the Tobey Maguire's, then all of the... Um, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? The uh, Andrew um, Garfield, and then yeah. 
this the one I did before that, which was a little bit more painful, which was watch all the Transformers films before the new one. Um, for me, that was kind of oh, hard. That would kill me. Yeah, that, that would kill me. <laughs> I even had my girlfriend watch some of them with me, and she was not the happiest person in the world. Dude, it's why you're a professional and why I respect you. Yeah. So keep it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just write reviews, and then like every now and again, I'll be doing like special reviews. Like on July 4th, I did a review on Born on the 4th of July and stuff like that. And sometimes, like for. Um, like Super Superman Day, I put out a poll of like, what's your favorite Superman film? And I'll watch it and review it. And I did something like that. And then I post them both on Box Office Buzz, um, which is Buzz with one Z. And then I also post it on Film Hype's um, blog. Um, and, that's, and their Twitter is at um, HQ. But yeah, so like I, I like writing reviews and just, doing um stuff like that and always guest starring on um certain people's podcasts and just talking about movies because that's big passion of mine yeah i love talking about movies it is the best time yeah me too all right well i will list all of those uh so anybody listening uh just go ahead and take a look in the uh in the description of this episode and you'll find links to all of those resources and thank you so much andre it was a pleasure Thank you very much for having me, and I'd be happy to do this again. Of course. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, you can find all of our content at ScreenMayhem.com. Uh, we just launched our TV three-way. Uh, let's get stuck into with Stephen. He's, uh, he's getting stuck into really awesome directors. Uh, we have a whole series on Billy Wilder, and uh, that's being followed up with digging deep into the life and times of Bill Murray. So check it out. Thanks a lot. Until next time. Let's Get Stuck Into is a podcast dedicated to making limited series about your favorite movies and your future favorite movies. We're going to get stuck into actors, directors, movie studios, and genres. We're going to be delving deeply into every aspect of their careers, their classic movies, their forgotten movies, their misunderstood movies, and everything in between. But for now... Let's get stuck into Billy Wilder, Bill Murray, Federico Fellini, Hal Ashby, Bruce Campbell, Vincent Minnelli, Studio Ghibli, Ealing Comedies, Powell and Pressburger, Kubrick, Hitchcock, Gene Kelly, Charlie Chaplin, Sergio Leone, Victor Fleming, Cary Grant.